I invite you to turn me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. As we uh, wrap up uh, the final few verses of this particular chapter, here we find wisdom personified as a, as a lady who calls out in the streets, beckoning for people to hear her voice. And here we find that the language of Lady Wisdom sounds awfully similar to the language and the speech of our great and triune God. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Through the end of the chapter, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out the entrance of the city gate, she speaks, saying, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? How long will fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my, at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make my words known to you. And yet, because I have called and you refused to listen, because I have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge, because they did not choose the fear of the Lord, because they would have none of my counsel, they despised all of my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way, they shall have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me, will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we do ask that you, being the source of all wisdom, would grant us this uh, wisdom this evening, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The 19th century Scottish essayist Thomas uh, Carlyle once quipped saying this, that if Jesus Christ were to come today, people would not even crucify him. They would ask him to dinner. They would hear what he had to say. And then they would make fun of him. I think there's a certain trendiness these days in remaining uncommitted to the truth, to being willfully and perhaps even blissfully agnostic, to be that free agent when it comes to the truth, always searching yet never arriving at a knowledge of certainty, always questioning, always being on the journey, but never arriving at one's destination. I remember I once had a religious studies professor as an undergrad in college, and she would wear uh, uh, three necklaces about her, sweet old lady from Georgia. Uh, and yet the necklaces were, she had a cross, a star of David, and a crescent moon around her neck. And one day in class, somebody asked her, and she says, well, I just want to make sure I have all my bases covered. <laughs> Seems wise. You're not making a hardened stance one way or another to remain uncommitted. You're not the hardened militant atheist of Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins. You're open to the possibility of truth, yet you're not certain of it. It seems smart. It seems academic. It seems safe. 
It seems less pretentious than it is to be certain. Best remain agnostic, neutral, open to everything. It is seen as wisdom in the world's eyes, and yet we find this evening that true wisdom tells us with respect to those questions of ultimate truth that find its starting point in the fear of the Lord, that the agnostic fares no better than the hardened atheist, that to reject the voice of wisdom is to reject the voice of God himself. Our passage tonight, we find wisdom personified as a woman who cries out to the blissfully uncommitted, to the simple and to the naive, who cries out to them and warns of the consequences of spurning wisdom's passionate plea even through their own apathy. There's three considerations I would like to present before us this evening. First, I'd like us to consider wisdom's cry. We see in verses 20 to 23... Then in verses 24 to 27, we'll consider wisdom's laugh. And then finally, in verses 28 to 33, we will consider wisdom spurned. So wisdom's cry, wisdom's laugh, and then wisdom spurned. I remember when I was growing up in Jacksonville, I remember when I was in uh, college, particularly in graduate school, one of my favorite things to do is to drive out to one of my favorite parts of town. I think Stephen and Margie probably know this part of town, Riverside, and and to sit out there by Memorial Park along the St. John's River. There's a little coffee shop there, and there's a little sushi restaurant, and I love sitting out there on a spring day grading papers and just spending the afternoon there. It's a beautiful old part of town, but I think what was somewhat funny was it didn't matter which store I was at, which coffee shop I was at, which restaurant I was at. It seems like everybody who lived or worked in that part of town was a college student or recent college graduate. And upon asking them, hey, what are you studying and what did you study? Nine times out of ten, I always got the same thing. Oh, I was a philosophy major. Kind of shows you where it got them, being a barista at a Starbucks. Hipsters with their heads stuck in the clouds, pontificating about who knows what. I had no clue what they were talking about. I just kind of wanted to be left alone. But here we see this evening a real focus on true philosophy, a focus on wisdom. Philosophy is a word that means the love of wisdom. I'm not here to spurn people who are perhaps philosophy majors. But one of the things that we see that is striking here, And something that's striking for so many around us is that this particular wisdom is a wisdom that calls out to all. This is not a wisdom that is kind of just holed up in an ivory tower somewhere for the eggheads to pontificate about abstract things that have no real basis in the day-to-day. Here, Lady Wisdom does not cry out from the ivory tower. It tells us she cries out in the street. She cries out in the marketplace. It tells us the context of wisdom. Wisdom is for the every man. Here is the wisdom that is, that is shouted aloud in the marketplace. She does not simply call out to the theorist. She calls out to everyone. This reminds us that wisdom is eminently practical, the wisdom from on high. And we find it is also no gentle whisper, but it is a prophetic wail. She's not simply nudging people in the street. She's shouting at the gates of the city entrance. 
I remember when I was in Nairobi uh, in Kenya a few years ago, walking through the streets, and there's all these vendors uh, in the downtown market. Everybody shouting at you, everybody wanting your attention, everybody wanting your affection, everybody wanting your wallet. Who is it that you will listen to? Which voice will you heed? We find that wisdom is shouting from the top of her lungs, trying to get your attention as everybody else is trying to get your attention as well. She's not kind of gently uh, tugging uh, from a back alley at your coat. She is shouting from the main thoroughfare. And here we find in verse 22, she is shouting to three particular groups of people, the simple, the scoffer, and the fool, and this word simple, the, the simple here, if, you know, as we work our way through Proverbs in the coming weeks and months, we'll find it's a particular category. Uh, various ways in which this is translated uh, in the Hebrew, this is uh, uh, someone who is naive, somebody who is young and inexperienced. It is that individual who is easily seduced. They do not know which way to go, and so they keep going at whoever is shouting loudest, the one who has the shiniest trinket, as it were, saying, come, follow me. These are the people who are uncommitted to any particular path one way or another. They're looking for somebody to guide them, but they don't know who. They have no criterion for evaluating and discerning wise people from foolish people. Scoffers are, on the other hand, are those for whom nothing is sacred. Everything for them is a fair game for a joke and a laugh. All of their words cut and they wound. They're like the cool kids at the lunch table, arrogant and haughty, who will not listen to their teachers. All they want is to have fun. Nobody, perhaps, has the truth. They just want to be cynical. And here we find a third category, the fool who's even more hardened than all the others, militant in their ways, convinced that God does not see or hear, so the fool does whatsoever his heart desires. He schemes, he plots, and he plans wickedness and evil. The simple love remaining blissfully ignorant, the scoffer loves to mock the passerby, and the fool snarls and sneers at any form of reproof. We have three different categories on three different levels of folly so to speak. And wisdom cries out to all of them, saying, how much longer will you stay like this? How long will you continue going your own way? Turn to me. I will pour out my Spirit upon you. Here, the language sounds eerily similar to the words of the prophet Joel in chapter 2. The promise of the great outpouring of the Spirit who bestows wisdom on His people, who empowers His people to walk in wisdom. And yet here we're given a picture of the natural man. As Paul writes to the church of Corinth, Corinth itself being a city that loves earthly wisdom. This is the city of the academic philosopher. And yet, it is a city full of people who spurn the Spirit of God and then choose, pursue, uh, choose to pursue the path of folly. 
Lady Wisdom here gives us a picture of the Spirit crying out to the nations. Turn to me and you will find true wisdom from on high. I will not hold it back if you but turn from your ways and turn to me. This language here tells us that to reject the voice of wisdom, of true wisdom, is to reject the voice of the triune God Himself. And that to spurn the living God will find that wisdom's cry, in fact, will turn to a shriek of laughter. Like a laughing hyena. Lady Wisdom, we see here in verses 24 to 27, shouts a message of doom. It's the same message uttered by the later prophets. Because you have called and yet you have refused to heed my warnings, I will not answer. This is something that the Lord himself says through the prophets at least half a dozen times in the Old Testament. The same warnings uttered by Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Zechariah. Calamity will come, but it will be too late because you have failed to heed the voice of woman wisdom. This is not simply a call for generic wisdom. Where is true wisdom to be found? We are told, we've already been told several times already in this chapter, it is found in the fear of Yahweh. It is the fear of the Lord where true wisdom is found. So to spurn the cry of wisdom, to turn to repent of one's folly, means that there will come a time when it is too late. Your window of opportunity will soon pass, even though you do not know when that window will close. This is why wisdom is shouting. This is not a, hey, how's it going? I'd like you to consider this. This is a passionate plea saying, turn before it is too late. You don't know when you will reach the point of no return. And yet that point is soon coming. And when that day comes, if you turn to me, then I will not answer you. Lady Wisdom says, she says, I will only laugh. Again, using language that is eerily reminiscent of the Lord Himself in the Scriptures. Think of Psalm chapter 2 as the nations in their folly gather and band about together to destroy the Lord's anointed. And what does the psalmist say? The Lord from heaven laughs. as he utters calamity upon the nations. Wisdom cries out, yet none hear. She sends her judgments, this language of stretching out the hand. Again, yet another Old Testament picture of divine judgment. When the Lord stretches out his hand against a nation, it is a picture of his providential warnings, be it through plague or pestilence, war or death. What we're seeing here is that wisdom is calling out in an escalated fashion. It begins with the verbal warning, but then this stretching out of the hand attests to the fact that the Lord speaks to the nations in His providence, saying, consider all the wickedness, all the calamity that has befallen you. This itself is a reminder to turn to the One who can deliver you before it is too late. And yet we see here that wisdom says, I've called out. You didn't listen. I have stretched out my hand. You still refuse to heed my warnings. Here the scoffers and the fools, though they claim to be wise, are unable to read the signs of the times. 
Isn't that what Jesus says of the Pharisees in his own day and age? Isn't this what we had read before us uh, in the middle part of chapter 1? That the wicked plot and devise, they spread out the net, yet the bird escapes, yet the fool does not even realize that he has uh, ensnared himself in his own trap. He is like Haman. I think last week I said he was like Mordecai. Totally wrong. He's like Haman who has uh, tried to plot against Israel and yet is the one who is left hanging at the end of the gallows. One commentator puts it like this, Hell hath no fury like woman wisdom scorned. And so terror strikes, the storm descends, and the calamity comes in whirlwind, distress, and anguish because they have spurned the counsel of the Most High God. We might ask ourselves, why would wisdom act so cruelly? And yet we should be reminded, as Proverbs reminds us and as the Psalms remind us, that it is not a cruelty to see the wicked called to account. Wisdom is simply saying, here's a, here's a chance to repent. This speaks of the mercy of God. Here is a chance to turn from your foolish ways. The Lord did not, is not obligated to offer even that much, and yet He does. And yet there will come a time where the Lord says enough is enough. It is time to call you to account for your ways. Here we find that this is the laughter at a failed mutiny against the Most High God. This language of walking the path, here is the scoffer, the very person that Psalm 1 warns us about. I'd like you to consider that Psalm 1 is not just the entry psalm uh, to the Psalter, but it is the entry point to the book of Proverbs as well. That there are two paths to go, either the path of the righteous or the path of the fool and the scoffer. And despite the repeated calls, the gracious calls to the foolish to the scoffer and to the naive, to turn, to repent of their ways. Perhaps Bruce Walkie, well, Bruce Walkie puts it like this that perhaps uh, it is better to translate, uh, or at least to understand the simple one, the naive one, as the uncommitted. It's, it's that college student who says, Well, I just want to hear all things equally and yet remain non committed to all. Wisdom is crying out saying, it is time to choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. Turn from folly. Turn from the scoffer. Turn from blissful ignorance. And yet despite these repeated calls to turn, the people chose the folly of man over the fear of the Lord. And now we see here in verses 28 to 33 that they get their just desserts. Here we have, in one sense, a story of the Garden of Eden all over again. Notice the language of Eden that we see here in verse 31. They shall eat the fruit of their own way. They will have their fill of their own desires. Think of Israel in the wilderness when they continued longing for extra meat. And the Lord says, great, I'll give it to you. You keep whining, you keep complaining, you keep grumbling in unbelief. You'll have it coming out your nose. You will be filled with your very desire. 
It's the warning of the prophets. It's the warning of Paul in Romans chapter 1 that the worst thing the Lord could ever do is to hand us over to our own desires and say, you want it? It's yours. That threefold repetition in Romans 1, so God gave them over, is the picture of judgment. You want to indulge in the flesh. You want to indulge in murder and hypocrisy and anger and slander. I will hand you over to it. And you think, great, I've gotten everything I've ever wanted. I've accumulated all the wealth I could ever find. I have had as many illicit romantic relationships as I could ever want. I've accumulated as much land as I could ever have. And and you think, I am satisfied. And then the Lord says, well, the joke is on you. Jesus himself tells the story of the rich man who accumulates so much wealth, he says, I need to build a bigger silo to accumulate all the goods that I have made. And the Lord says, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. Here, woman wisdom warns, turn before it's too late. You claim that you want this fruit, this fruit that is forbidden. If you really want it, you can have it. There's consequences to be held. This becomes the consummate sign of judgment that befalls the people. And here we see that the simple, the scoffer, and the fool all meet the same end all who do not turn from their folly. It's not just the militant atheist who is destroyed. But you see here in verse 32, it is those who remain indifferent and apathetic to wisdom's cry. It is those who remain complacent, saying, ah, there's always tomorrow. See, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, this particular passage in several places keeps having Lady Wisdom echo the language of God Himself as He calls to the people to turn from their folly. This is not the stuff of scholastic speculation. This is the real and the practical. The world shouts at us in the marketplace. Think of all the commercials and the advertisements that barrage us continually telling us what it is that we think we should need, or at least what it is that they think we need. New toys, longer life. And yet among all these competing voices, wisdom shouts out among the crowd that there are more important things in life to consider. Wisdom, true wisdom that begins with the fear of the Lord says, turn to me before it is too late. Turn to the Lord God instead of heeding the voices of the competitor in the marketplace. You cannot serve both God and mammon. It is one or the other. Paul, as he surveys the human race, he concludes this, that the world, though it claims to be wise, has instead played the fool. In its wisdom, claiming to be indifferent, apathetic, always on the search for real truth, yet failing to pursue the fear of the Lord, they have rejected the wisdom of God, particularly the wisdom of God as it is displayed at the cross of Christ. 
That's why Paul says that the the cross of Christ has become a stumbling block to the Greek, even though they seek wisdom to demonstrate that even the the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest sage that this world has to offer. So wisdom pleads passionately with the young, those who are still unsure which which direction to go. Wisdom says, follow me. Again, we ask where? Where do we begin? And we've seen already several times in this chapter alone, wisdom is to be found in the fear of the Lord and the keeping of His commands. See, on the one hand, we are reminded that we are not justified by our good deeds. Nevertheless, God has given us His law for our good that we might learn His ways, that the law teaches us what is right and what is wrong, but it also teaches us what is wise and what is foolish. Proverbs seeks to put God's law into practical application. And it must begin with the fear of the Lord. God has given us His law for our good, and He has also given us His gospel to remind us that fools though we are, we have been given the chance, afforded as wisdom calls out, to turn from our folly. Even Lady Wisdom speaks of the mercy of God. And she says, turn. The Lord is gracious and abounding in steadfast love to grant you the great privilege to turn from your wicked ways, to make amends before it is too late. But do not be deceived. There will come a day when it is too late. That is the point here of this particular passage. Turn from the folly of sin. Turn to the true source where wisdom can be found. Turn to Christ who, as Paul says... Christ Himself being both the wisdom of God and the power of God to salvation. Wisdom's passionate plea is summed up in a single word that we see here, and it is this, repent. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank You for Your Word. We ask that You would grant us the wisdom to repent. We ask that you would grant us the grace to repent and turn from our folly that we might learn to walk the path of wisdom, that path that begins with the fear of the Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.